Good evening on this relatively warm January night. I'm Chris Kiergaard of the Journal Star and PJStar.com. And hello, I'm Mark Supreme with 90.7 FM, WAZU uh, Program Director, and welcome to our web series, State of Peoria. Early voting starts tomorrow for Peoria City Primary. It's a really important year for Peoria's future, and as everybody prepares to vote for a new mayor and five district council seats, we're taking a deeper look at how city government actually works. This partnership between the uh, PJ Star and 90.7 FM will address issues within the city and preview the primary and general elections for the mayoral and city council races in Peoria this year. Our goal here is to help you make informed, educated decisions. So not only are we talking to candidates and hearing what they have to say, but also we're talking to people who are involved in the day-to-day -day running of the city, like tonight's guest, who has a wealth of information on issues that the policymakers we're voting for will have to make decisions on. So here for our second episode, uh, we have city manager Pat Urick. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pat Urick, he's been at the helm working alongside the city council uh, coming up on 10 years, overseeing the day-to-day -day activities of the city of Peoria, including the $169 million budget, 14 departments, and approximately 660 full-time and part-time employees. Pat Urick, welcome. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. No problem at all. Thank you for uh, stopping in. Uh, so real quick, before we get into city issues, uh, let's address the elephant in the room, the elephant and governance. Uh, what do you make of what's going on at the Capitol, impeachments and everything like that? Ooh. Well, I, I, I think we're we're seeing the um, that, you know, based on, on what we saw in the Capitol in Washington today and what's going on in the in the the, the state house in Springfield, or at least the convention center in Springfield uh, today, is that we're seeing that um, a passing of the gavel in Springfield to a uh, a new speaker of the House. Uh, and we're seeing that the, the democratic processes in Washington still work. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, we live in a in a constitutional democratic republic and um, we're seeing that it worked. It works uh, in that way. Uh, we had a, a really bad week last week and, and Congress is doing what Congress uh, has to do, which is to, to consider uh, articles of impeachment or an art and this time an article of impeachment um, uh, for the president's involvement in the in the issues last week, and um, we're we're in some challenging times because the country is so divided, and I think that that's um, that makes governance at all levels very difficult. Um, you know, I was on a call today with uh, several city managers from around Central Illinois, and and we were talking about the events in Washington and about the events in Springfield, and and we all know that that. Uh, the world has, uh, over the last several years, has become more and more divided, particularly here in the United States. And um, it's something that, that certainly we have to deal with. Certainly, certainly. Um, now, uh, turning the page and getting more local, um, I think it came to a surprise for many that when artists announced that he wasn't going to seek a fifth term, uh, what did you make of it? Did it surprise you at all? Uh, how are you feeling about that? Well, I was I was surprised. I've had a great working relationship with the mayor, and we've we've worked very closely uh, for almost ten years together. Um, and I and I think that that you know everyone uh, that you talk to about Jim Artis will say that that he really cares and, and cares deeply about the city of Peoria. Um, and I think that 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 was evident. And I think uh, he really did have to 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 do some soul searching about where he was was heading with with the decision and. 
Um, and he, he made, I think, the decision that was best for, for him. And um, I'm going to miss working with him and, and I wish him nothing but the best. Obviously, um, you know, when you work so closely with somebody uh, as mayor and, and then as the city manager, um, you know, we, we had a, and have to still currently a great working relationship. Uh, you know, the, 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 the manager's job is to, to run the day-to-day operations of the city. And the, and the mayor is really that, that policy leader and that, and that driver of trying to facilitate um, a direction and a path forward for the city. And, um, and, and then it's our job to run the place as, as the staff. So, um, you know, that's important. And, and, and you bring up a good point, and that leads me to my next question. It's kind of two-part. Uh, but first of all, a lot of people, even in this race, it seems, uh, with questions that I've seen, uh, people interchange the roles uh, in titles of mayor and city manager. When it comes to city of Peoria, city government, who's in charge? And how would you differentiate your job description from the mayor's? So that's the first part. And the second part is simply, with the next mayor, are you looking to stay on or not? So uh, I'll, I'll answer in, 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 in reverse order. Yes, I'm, I'm planning to stick around. I'm, I'm planning to, to stay on. Uh, the, the role of, of the mayor is, is really to be that, that policy leader. And, and the, the role of the city council is to provide that policy direction to the, to the city manager and the staff. So if, if you think about it, a city government is structured very similar to a corporation where you have a, a board of directors and you have a chairman of the board of directors being the mayor, and then and then the manager serves really as as in, in particularly here in in uh, Peoria where we are, we have a statutory uh, form of of the council manager form of government, so it's defined in Illinois law that that really I act as that chief administrative officer, almost like the CEO of a corporation. So I'm responsible for carrying out the day to day activities. And the mayor, is, as the chairman of the board, is responsible for providing that policy direction, working with the board of directors being the city council to define what that role is. And I think so. I think that's that's the way to put it. Now, I, I, I actually I think that that um, as you look at it in practice, um, there's oftentimes that the mayor and I will talk about issues that come into how we're running the city. Uh, but I also provide policy recommendations to the council that they have to take up and they'll consider uh, as we go forward. So there is some overlap between the two. So are you in charge? Sounds like you're in charge. <laughs> well, on a day-to-day basis, I'm, I'm in charge of, of uh, supervising and, and, and caring for uh, making sure that the policy directives and the ordinances of the city are carried out. And then the policy direction and then the, the, the direction that we're heading is defined by the mayor and the city council. So is is there a, a typical day uh, as city manager for you, a, a non-council meeting day? You know, what walk us through some of what, what might occur in a, a typical day for you real briefly, if you can. Sure. Well, I mean, I think normally I'm, I'm in the office between 7.30 and 8, uh, trying to get in here. And, and then, you know, usually at that point in time, I'm in uh, taking a look at, at what may have happened, um, you know, over the course of, of the last 24 hours. We'll look at, at uh, significant uh, police and fire events that have occurred. Uh, I'll be meeting with various department heads talking about uh, different issues that they have that they may be dealing with. Um, this past year, we spent a huge amount of time on COVID 
obviously dealing with the pandemic, how that was going to handle the city operations, what were some of those decisions we had to make about right now, for example, uh, the city hall is closed to the public. So, you know, how we would, would manage that to keep our employees safe, keep the members of the public safe, what were those issues that we need to be dealing with. Uh, I could be dealing with issues pertaining to um, uh, economic development projects that are going on in the city. It could be dealing with public safety issues that are going on. It could be dealing with road projects, uh, talking with various different uh, department heads, depending on the nature of the issue that pops up. Um, we could be talking with developers. We could be talking with um, constituents. You know, you get, I do get calls from citizens that have concerns about the direction that the city is going or, or compliments about the direction that the city is going. And so uh, we try and work through those issues as well. Okay. All right. Good. Now, you referred to some of the work that you're doing, looking at, at you know, overnight reports on, on major events and things like that. And, you know, as the mayor clarified last week, the city council has one employee who is you, and then from there, you, know, you oversee the various department heads. I, I think right now there's there's a lot of people who are interested. We have a, a vacancy with Chief Marion stepping down at, at the end of his career in uh, actually what at, at the end of next week, I believe. Yeah, it is. Next week, yes. Uh, and you know, you're beginning a, a nationwide search there for the next police chief. I, I want to ask you. Uh, I'm going to ask you one thing, but then I've got a couple of follow-ups to it. So tell me first, what are the priorities for you in what you're looking for in somebody who is the ideal candidate for the next police chief? Well, I think that that first and foremost, the nature of policing is changing as we see it. Today, uh, the, the state uh, General Assembly passed a new uh, policing reform bill. Uh, that's going to change. It's 764 pages. I have it up on my computer here right now. I've only gotten through about about 110 pages of it, so I've still got some more to to, to look at to see what it what it's going to entail. But but the nature of policing in in our country and the nature of policing in Illinois is changing. And one of the areas that I think Chief Marion has done a really good job of moving the city towards uh, has been putting a stronger focus on community based and community oriented policing. And I think that's one area that I want to see that the next police chief that comes in continues that effort to continue to reach out to the community and to continue to try and make inroads um, to improve what, what is called police legitimacy. And, and it's called the actions that, that our police officers take uh, are being viewed with, with not only a, a certain amount of trust in the community that they're acting uh, on, on. And I think, you know, 99.9% of the time, uh, I think that our police department uh, and, and police departments across the country have good interactions with the community, but there are times where they don't. And we need to have processes in place to be able to address those times where they don't. Uh, but we also need to be making stronger inroads uh, towards building trust back into the community. Uh, and, and I think uh, Chief Marion talked about it earlier this uh, this past week, I think in the Journal Star, where he was saying that the that having the public come out and, and share information about crimes that have occurred is helping us to solve crimes. Uh, and, and that comes from trust. And we've got to be able to build that trust back in the community uh, and I need a, a police chief that's going to step into that role and help to build stronger uh, uh, avenues of trust within our communities. Okay, so so certainly tackling some of those reforms is a, a, 
big element of that. And it, it sounds as though you want somebody who, who's really going to be public facing in in the role there as well and, and you know, do do a lot of community engagement. Um, I also want to ask you in, in relation to that, there, there's been some discussion on the notion of, of whether or not the uh, what, what is now the advisory committee on police community relations uh, needs to make some changes either to how the complaint process is, is handled and even on whether that advisory committee should become a, a more formal committee that can, you know, push action proposals up to the city council a little more directly. Uh, do you have any, any, recommendations you would yet take to the council on that or, or want to see anything from a new chief in terms of that? Well, I think that, that you know, part of the, the, the issue there is going to be uh, really digging into what are some of the changes that are coming out of this new police reform bill that, that has just passed both houses in the, in the General Assembly. Uh, if the governor signs that into law, um, there are some some changes to how the complaint process for police officers works. So so it's kind of uh, some of this is is in progress right now that we just need to see where the dust settles with with the law and what the guidance is that comes back from from the the, the state on that. Um, but I do think that that what we've seen over the last several years with regards to police complaints um, is that those complaints get investigated by the police department. And then uh, every every person that files a complaint against the police officer does have the opportunity uh, to raise it in front of the advisory commission. Um, most often, uh, in fact, at the last advisory commission meeting, I think it was brought up that that there was not one complaint that came to rose to the level of coming back to the advisory commission. So it seems that the complaints seem to be uh, resolved at the at the level of within the police department. Um, but if there are suggestions that the commission may have or there are suggestions that the public may have, we'll certainly consider them and we'll have a conversation about it. I, I want to stay on police real quick. Um, first off, with regard to the priorities, is making sure that police officers that serve the inner city, are, are, is it a priority to make them live in the inner city uh, upon getting hired and, and maybe even the same for, uh, for fire? Great question. So, so the the issue with with residency, um, the city lost in both police and in fire. Uh, the the city lost um, in arbitration um, the ability to require our, our our police officers and our firefighters to live within the city. Now, the firefighters did negotiate in one of, in a previous or an agree, a subsequent agreement after that. Um, that if you want for promotional purposes, you should live in the city for the first ten years of your employment so that you get additional promotional points as you move up in the ranks. So, so that was negotiated into the fire agreement. The police agreement doesn't have that. But that, that uh, police reform bill that just came out, I think, did change the requirements of that, um, saying in future labor contracts uh, that, that residency may uh, not be subject to bargaining. So, so that may be something that comes up. I, again, that's in the bill now. I think it's for, for cities over 100,000 in population. I don't know mechanically how that will work yet, um, but that is something that we did lose in arbitration. So an, an, an arbitrator here in Illinois said that that police officers didn't have to live in inside the city of Peoria. Do you think that should be, I mean, obviously you're not in control in Springfield, but do you think that's something that should be a, requ a requirement given uh, community, city, uh, community, city and police relations? 
um, especially given, you know, I mean, what's been going on the last couple of years and especially over the summer, it's probably more nece- necessitated for police than even fire. It, it, it is. I think that that, you know, one of the challenges that, that we have now, obviously, we're not as big of a metro area as you know, like the Chicago area where you have you literally have hundreds of suburbs surrounding the, the big city of Chicago. Um, but we do still have have, you know, nearly 400,000 people that, that live here in the tri-county area. Um, and the city is is only about a quarter of the, the total population. So uh, there we do hire from this metro area. We do hire people that that come into work from the city that don't always uh, reside in the city. Um, but I think that it, it really is fundamentally a policy question uh, that I think there are some compelling factors for wanting police to live in the city. You know, one of our other uh, efforts that we're really striving to try and achieve uh, not only in police, but in fire and, and across the entire organization uh, is to make sure that our, our hiring, that, we, that we're hiring a workforce uh, that looks like the city of Peoria and that, that is reflective of what our demographic composition looks like inside the city of Peoria as well. And so um, we worked with the NAACP to try to, um, to, try to make changes and, and to set some, some goals for us that, that are quite frankly, very hard to achieve. Um, not the least of which because of what's happening on the police side on a national level, where it's just tough to, to try and um, recruit um, minority candidates to come in to be police officers right now. It's very difficult. We've had some, we've had some candidates in the past that have, that have come on board and have left and um, some, some reflective of, of some of the challenges that we're seeing nationwide. And I think that, that we have to double our efforts um, we have staff that that before COVID, we were going to pre- preparing to send them to historically black colleges and universities to do recruitment efforts. Uh, I'm hopeful that this year we're going to be able to do that um, so that that we can see that we're able to get um, a workforce that reflects what Peoria looks like on a daily basis. And I was going to ask you about that. What do you think is the biggest hurdle when it comes to recruiting black officers? Well, I think I think. Um, Again, that level of trust within the community is a big challenge for hiring black officers. I think that that um, we have to redouble our efforts um, to try and make sure that we're doing the outreach to the criminal justice programs uh, at the historically black colleges and universities, at uh, you know universities like Western Illinois or or Northern Illinois, and and really reach out even even further and, and farther than we have in the past um, to try and attract. Uh, people to come to Peoria. I mean, this is a great place to to, to live. You know, I've um, and and I think there's a lot of things we can sell people on, um, and I think we can we can sell this community uh, for, for really. I think that it's you know I've I moved here 20 years ago um, when I took a, a job with Peoria County, um, and and don't regret being in here in Peoria any for any minute of time. And I think that that we could certainly uh, make that same approach and that same effort uh, to talk to to. Uh, potential minority police officer candidates uh, and minority firefighter candidates uh, about the importance of, of living in a, in a great community like Peoria and, and that you'll have a, a great opportunity uh, to grow into uh, helping this this community uh, tackle some of the biggest challenges. I mean, our, some of our biggest challenges at the city level are public safety challenges, uh, but also um, I think that we've got great opportunity to make the, some great strides in it. But, you know, I, I look at at the efforts that we've done with focused deterrence, um, I think it has really helped. I think that that the strides that we're we're making and we need to go further on community policing will certainly help. Um, and then we have to couple that with 
with additional economic development efforts to to help improve uh, opportunities uh, throughout every community and every neighborhood inside the city of Peoria. Last question, last question on Council real quick, and I'll let you get in here, Chris. Um, defund the police, uh, sensitive terminology, but we all know what it means under underneath. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that that um, you know we we had a we had a, a big conversation at the at the council level earlier this year uh, as we were dealing with COVID about what we were going to do to to reduce the budget, um, and I think that that uh, at least this council um, wasn't really um, interested in in seeing major reductions to the the police force out on the street. We're seeing we're seeing departures from the police department due to retirements. And we just can't fill positions fast enough. It takes us almost 10 months from the time we hire somebody until they can actually be out on the street on their own because they have to go down to, to the police training academy. Once they come back from the academy, then they've got to have uh, almost six months of field training time where they're, they're riding with another officer uh, before they go out on the street. And, and I think that, that with this new police reform bill that just passed, there's going to be more training requirements they're going to be putting on officers rightly so. And I think that's a good thing that's going to, to require us to provide even more training for them uh, before they're able to get out on the street on their own. So so that that time frame takes some time. But we also need to, to as a city, need to be looking at the efforts of what can we be doing uh, to maybe bolster, for example, uh, our ERS program, where we work with mental health professionals, uh, where we have incidents that occur in the city, where we bring in mental health professionals to help the police and supplement the activities of the police department. Um, for example, on the fire side, uh, we have put a nurse, uh, we've worked with AMT to put a nurse into um, the emergency communication center uh, to help to kind of triage 911 calls as they come in so that we can make sure that we're getting the right resources to that call as it comes in. And we kind of really do the same thing on the policing side to make sure we get the right resources to certain types of police calls as well. Hey, Patrick, I, I want to follow up on, on one item related to some of the challenge in, in both attracting and then retaining uh, minority candidates to reach some of those those goal levels with the NAACP. And, and part of that has really been the uncertain budget situation of, of the last few years, too. And yeah. obviously, as, as unionized employees, it's it's a last in, first out order, which, which has not helped that newer employees who have been brought in have been the first ones on, on the chopping block when you've had to reduce staffing numbers. Uh, First, I, I want to ask, are, are we at a point after after the last several years of this where, and, and you alluded to the council not wanting to, to make make cuts, particularly in, in the public safety realm, are, are we at a point where we can credibly go out there and tell these candidates that this is not going to be something where you're, you're hired for a year and you get trained and then we lay you off and you go somewhere else with, with your training in hand and, and your ability to, to get out on the street, but not working for the city of Peoria and not having a, a workforce that, that looks like the city they're, they're working in. So the, the, the fiscal pressures have made it difficult. And, and I think we've seen some departures in police and fire because of some of that, that fiscal uncertainty that we face. Um, but what we've tried to do to, to mitigate that is we've really tried to offer retirement incentives 
so that other officers might take that that retirement as they get closer to retirement age uh, so that we could retain our younger police officers and younger firefighters. And, and I think um, that's one of the things that we've that we've been trying to do. Um, the, the, the big challenge that we face and, 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 and it's the, the, the biggest issue that we face is our, our legacy costs with pensions um, that is, is really going to drive fiscal decisions for the next 20 years. Um, and that's something that that um, we what we've done over the last 10 years is we've reduced the workforce. You know, we, we went in 2010, I think we had 760 employees. We're down to 615 today. And so, so we've reduced the workforce um, while we, and that means that we've reduced our service levels in that same period of time. Um, But that can't really continue any further without making significant cuts to public safety services and I, I think that that's something that, that as the council continues to debate it, um, you get to that point of diminishing returns. And particularly when you start to look at, at the level of public safety need that we have in the community, uh, that, that it really means that then we've got to turn and say, okay, to cover those, those legacy costs, what we've really got to do is talk about about increasing the revenue that we need to cover those expenses. And, and it's going to be a challenge because if – you know, you, that no one wants to hear that, that your taxes are going to have to go up. And particularly no one wants to hear that your taxes are going to have to go up because you need to fund pensions. But it is something that we are required to do. Uh, and it's something that we have to do um, as part of the as part of the, you know, being part of Illinois and, and, and the requirements that the General Assembly has put on us. OK. Uh, on, on some of these budgetary issues in, in the last several years, it, it's been, I guess, what I would characterize at least as a, a very divided council on, on those things with, with a lot of 7-4 and 6-5 votes. How do you, as a city manager, address some of that to, to reflect you know, in, in what you're implementing as policy how do you work on a 6-5 vote and, and, and try to find compromises in those policies, knowing that, that what's 6-5 today could be 6-5 the other way tomorrow? Well, I think that I think that's one of the, the, the biggest challenges that we've seen over the last several years is that we do have a, a council that is somewhat philosophically divided. And I think that that, that, that has been one of the, the, the challenges is – is trying to to see the council work towards towards some sort of of commonality of, of a path forward for for the direction that we want to go and and I think that that as we put together a budget or as we put together uh, a, a long range kind of spending plan what we need to be thinking of is is you know what can we do to get to to that point where a majority will support it. A couple of years ago, when we were working on the on the budget, we instituted the public safety pension fee, and that that pension fee was really established to try and help to support some of the payments uh, for pension costs and spread some of that burden to some of the the tax exempt properties across the the city that don't really pay any property taxes. And in order to get that passed, um, the council made a modification to, to limit that fee to just three years and to sunset it after three years 
um, in order to, to find the majority to get that to go forward. And I think that's where you, you, you'll see that as the council debates the issues, it's, it's where can they find common ground? And, and that's why that role of mayor is so important in engaging with the members of the city council to find out where their commonality may be um, or where their, their common interests may be so that we can put something together that people can support. Okay. So getting into Peoria and just the, the downhill slide we've been in, Peoria came, became one of the worst mid-sized cities, according to a lot of media outlets, under your watch, under Jim Artis's watch, under the various people that were uh, uh, in the seats of city council. Um, seems like we have a slow leak in the boat. The March Madness has left, uh, gone to Champagne. Uh, Caterpillar left, went to Deerfield. Um, East Peoria seems to be more on the upswing, uh, uh, seemingly, than Peoria. And so does Bloomington at the same time. How did this happen? How did we get here, from uh, from your estimation? Well, I think that, I think ultimately, um, one of the challenges that, that I think we've been trying to deal with from, from uh, Peoria's standpoint is that we were very reliant on Caterpillar for a long period of time. We were, were we over reliant? Uh, overly reliant on, on manufacturing. And I think that that, that reliance, um, when you put all of your, your eggs in one basket, uh, that leads to not having an economy that's very diverse. What we've seen over the, the, the last, even the last 15 years, is that we've seen the, the, the ascension of, of our healthcare industry as being you know, really what, what is our, our largest employer group now, and that's healthcare. Um, we still have a huge manufacturing base and a huge strength in specialized manufacturing here in, in the Peoria area. Um, but where, where we have also lost out on is that we've, we don't have a very strong financial services sector like other parts of, of the state. You know, Bloomington Normal and Champaign have bigger college towns. They're, they're, they have bigger university presences in both of those metro areas that that also helps to drive because usually most public, not all, because right, you've got you could talk to you could talk to Macomb or you could talk to Charleston, but most of your larger public universities seem to have been pretty recession proof. And and so that's helped in 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 some of those metro areas. Um, you know, we have with Bradley, we have a fine, fine private institution, um, but it's a it's a private institution. It's not it doesn't have the same uh, collegiate presence um, that that an Illinois State University or a University of Illinois has. Um, as you look at that, um, but but ultimately, I think that that what we're trying to do right now, from an economic development standpoint, um, is really look at how we can continue to diversify this economy for the region, uh, diversify the economy for Peoria. Um, and then look at how we can continue to grow um, and, and create a growth focus, um, knowing that we've got challenges in Illinois, just just generally, I think, because of the, the state's fiscal climate that we're in. And, and I have a three part question on that. Um, was there last week we uh, spoke with Jim Artis and uh, brought up the question if. Peoria probably had an over reliance on Caterpillar. He didn't think think uh, seem to think so. Was there an, any any ideological split between you two as far as how to approach Caterpillar in general? No, no, not at all, not at all. I think that that um, you know obviously 
uh, cat as a corporation is going to make their own business decisions for what's in their in their best interest. Um, you know, certainly after the amount of time and effort that we spent working with them on on their plans for their headquarters project, we were as disappointed to, to see that that wasn't going to be the direction that they wanted to go in. Um, but that that that's their decisions to make, and and you know we need to continue to invest in in um, in our our, our uh, education system. We need to invest in our worker our workforce development system uh, to ensure not only that that our students in Peoria are coming out uh, able to move into the workforce um, out of our our secondary education system, but that also that that um, those that are that are are in the workforce today are trained to take uh, different jobs than they maybe have, have been working in in the past. So, um, no, I, I think that, that um, you know, we need, to, we need to, as a region, uh, continue to look at how we can strengthen our workforce uh, and then continue to try and attract uh, additional, additional investment and business investment uh, here in the community uh, that's going to employ people. Um, the number one issue that's going to help to address some of our crime uh, is giving people jobs. Getting people the employment and economic employment op- opportunities uh, will give them um, – uh, it's the fastest way uh, to get somebody um, into a, a better position in life, uh, but also to, to address some of the criminal justice issues that we've been facing as well. You mentioned in your response as far as how we got here, uh, Peoria being, you know, losing a lot of things and just the current state that we're in. Um, but you mentioned Bradley being a private school, which is definitely true. It, it doesn't it's not a major powerhouse like an ISU or U of I. And just the, the diversification or lack thereof of services and businesses that we have in Peoria. It seems like that's always been the case, though. So what would you point to necessarily or more specifically with regard to the last five year decline? Well, I think that I think that that you know I I would turn it the other way. I think I think Bradley as a private institution is a strength uh, for this for this community to have that type of investment to have a, a private institution that's putting a hundred and twenty million dollar um, conversion center uh, on Main Street in our community and, and showing that level of commitment to Peoria is is really important to see the the hundreds of millions dollars of investment that OSF is making uh, and, and is really putting that effort forward to say that, that Central Illinois can be the home to one of the largest employers, healthcare employers in the state, and one of the largest employers in the state, uh, shows that, that, that we can pivot. And I think that, that, you know, if we look back at Peoria's history, right? I mean, we started, we were a, a, a French frontier town. Then we became, you know, we became a, uh, a, a, a town that was known for making whiskey. Then we became known as a town for, for earth moving equipment. Um, you know, we're moving into the next chapter in Peoria's history. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that we're just going to continue to see uh, or, or the perception that's there that, that Peoria is declining. I'm, I'm very optimistic about Peoria's future. Uh, I'm very optimistic about, you know, right out my window, right back here, I can look and see the construction every day that's going on on OSF's mission headquarters. Uh, you know, they're going to have uh, their groundbreaking for their virtual centers coming forward here uh, in the next couple of days. They're going to be doing that. The cancer center that they're working on, um, having, uh, you know, Unity Point Health uh, as another healthcare provider in our community. Uh, we have huge assets uh, in healthcare. Uh, that are going to help to propel us here into the 21st century that that we have to to just um, continue to nurture and to continue to 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 uh, advance 
in order to to um, take advantage of that skill set that they bring to the table. And I get that. Uh, but also you build on the future by learning from the past. So at, at, in the essence of it, how did we get to the bottom where we're at right now? Because well, some I, of it can be perception, but I think it'd be hard to argue with almost anybody living in Peoria for the last five years that Peoria hasn't been on a decline in, in, in many respects for the last five years. So where, what do you think that culprit is? How did we get here? Well, I think, I think how we, I think where, how we got here uh, in, in some ways um, is, is really looking at um, if, if we're focused on just focused on one area of our economy and we're not focused on diversifying our economy, then we're, we're not going to be able to respond to changes in the world or changes uh, in our own local marketplace. And so we have to look at how we can be diverse. We have to look at, at making sure we have a diverse segment of employers, uh, making sure that we're growing in all aspects of that, uh, and, and try and make sure that we're growing in areas uh, that are going to, pr- to help to raise the standard of living for everyone. And I think that's something that we can do. Uh, and that's something that, I, that, that is one lesson that I think that we can take, is that we have to continue to look at how we can diversify our economy. Okay. Patrick, I, I have a couple of questions that are also development-related, but before we get to some of those, I, I want to take one of the questions that, that we've just gotten on the, the live feed here uh, from one of, one of our viewers asking very specifically about how Peoria can grow or, or be growing for minorities and other low-income residents in the city. That, that's been an area, particularly in, in parts of South Peoria and the East Bluff, where you know, I, I think you'll agree that, that there really has not been a lot of small business development or new growth recently, and, and with the possible exception of a part of the Wisconsin Avenue corridor on, on the East Bluff, there really has not been a lot of, of stabilization or, or inducement for new business to move in. So talk about what the city is trying to do there. Well, I think that, that in the South Side, one of the areas that we're, we're putting some focus to, and we've, we've actually set aside a million dollars out of one of our, our TIFs, uh, is the MacArthur Avenue corridor, and looking at that as um, as a, one of the major thoroughfares in the South Side to look at how we can uh, look at increasing not only commercial investment in that area, but residential investment in that area, and look at how we can we can um, you know re envision that stretch of South MacArthur Highway um, and really look at that. We're also uh, looking at how we can use. Just like we did with with um, the warehouse district, uh, where the uh, infrastructure investments helped to spur economic investment, um, we're looking at at doing a fifteen million dollar um, upgrade of West, of Western Avenue uh, from Lincoln down to Jefferson. So you know, trying to put um, uh, uh, some attention on the infrastructure that we have in the South Side in order to help to leverage more investment. At the same time, we've got to continue to talk about how we can grow small business and grow business opportunities where people reside. And that's looking at the south side, looking at the east bluff and seeing where we can find businesses that we can that we can position in those areas that will employ more people from the neighborhoods. And, and you know, that's where businesses like O'Brien Steel are very important. You know, a North Valley employer who employs a lot of people from the neighborhood. And I think that, you know, if we can look at finding employers like that throughout the South side uh, or figure out what we can be doing to help to grow those businesses uh, and, and encourage them to hire from the neighborhoods, 
that's another way that we can help to, to, to move that needle. Um, we also just recently have been the recipient of $1.1 million from DCEO, the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity, for small business grants. We took a half a million dollars recently um, of our community development block grant funding that we, we got some additional block grant funding as part of the CARES Act, and we put that towards businesses and homeowners. And then we also have another $1.3 million from the U.S. Department of Economic, uh, U.S. Economic Development Administration that we're going to be using as loan money for small business. So our hope is that we can see in the, the grant program that we, I just mentioned, I think we had 20 uh, minority businesses that applied for some of the, those grant dollars. So, you know, we're working through the process of approving those grants right now, but that's certainly one way that we can help uh, is try and get some of this COVID money into the hands of small business as quickly as we can. Okay. All right. Interesting. I, I want to follow up a little bit on on the, the infrastructure part of that package. And I, I swear we didn't script this. I, I, I had the Western Avenue Im- improvement down. And I, I want to know a little bit more about what some of that follow-up is to, to improve either, either business development or those neighborhoods nearby, partly because I've seen what the city has done along Sheridan Road in the last couple of years, and that is a beautiful stretch of road. It is much more bicycle friendly. It is much more pedestrian friendly. It is much more inviting to drive along. My car shocks appreciated a lot more than what it used to be. But from what you've seen along there, when when you drive it, it's probably the same as what I've seen, which is it, it doesn't really seem that, that with the possible exception of the, the blood plasma place, uh, getting some renovations, that there's been a, a lot of either dressing up of the businesses there or new businesses that have taken hold along part of that corridor, nor has it really seemed to, to spread out into home improvement within any of the neighborhoods in, in the block or two along there. And, and you, know, you want to build it block by block. Uh, so what is the strategy for, for getting that next step of getting into the neighborhoods and, and going beyond the infrastructure improvement? Well, well, some of that takes time, Chris. I mean, I think that, that if we look at the warehouse district, that didn't happen overnight. Even though we we started to, to put that infrastructure investment in, um, it's taken time for that, that investment to pay off. I mean, a, another good example of that would be the ballpark. People would say, oh, look, the ballpark never spurred any investment off. Well, the ballpark by moving down there really started that thought about, Hey, maybe we can do something with the rest of the warehouse district. And then we, we made the infrastructure investments there in the warehouse district that are now leading to the type of, of uh, commercial redevelopment and residential redevelopment that's going on in the warehouse district. Um, The neighborhoods. And as we get into streets like Sheridan road, um, some of that investment, as you start to look at, at what we can do within the Sheridan Triangle Business Corridor or down to Nebraska, uh, is going to be um, much more of a microeconomic approach that we're going to have to take with that. It's looking at what those small businesses need and working with them to try and make sure that we figure out ways that we can help and assist them. That's where these, these grants and these loans can assist, is that we can provide some of that immediate uh, capital to them to help them in many ways um, if, you know, for example, the, the, the loan or the grant program that we have right now, uh, it, it will provide someone with $5,000 for, 
for to help them with lost revenue, but also five thousand dollars, an additional five thousand uh, dollars, if they're going to be doing any work to try and um, to to address their business or spruce up their business or to position it to come out of this um, the COVID pandemic uh, in a different light. So so we've been trying to to structure these these uh, small business loans and grants in ways that we can try and to, to spur some of that type of, of thought about how they might be able to do things a little differently. Now, now are, are we actively targeting some of those areas with it, or are, are we expecting existing businesses to come to us rather than, than specifically targeting areas that, that we know that we need to see some of this growth or renovation? Right now, we have been... We have been uh, uh, We've been really just kind of an all hands on deck approach, trying to get the money out the door. So, so we haven't specifically targeted businesses in that area, but but we have shared with information uh, with with all of our businesses. We have a we have a, a business um, communication uh, effort that we do that we've we have thousands of of city businesses signed up in that where we get that information out to them to try and let them know what's going on. But we can always do more, and we're always willing to do more. Um, you know, the, the grant program is open between now and, and January 18th. So we've got until um, through the, the rest of this week to, for people to, to get that information in or through the weekend. Uh, and we, we want to make sure that we get those grants out the door um, because this is money that, that, that we want to make sure that the, that the business community can take advantage of. I want to stay on uh, economic development. Um, Plainly, has has this one been left behind by the city? You think, with regards to economic development, jobs, and just help? Has could you say that again, Mark? That has has District One. Do you feel like the city oh, of has left behind District no, One? No, not at all. I think we. I think we. If you look at at our our capital investments, if you look at our um, our, our investments of city resources, uh, we probably invest more in District One. Um, than we do anywhere else in the city. And I think that, that um, we, you know, we continue to try and uh, put the resources uh, into the first district. Um, and, and we know that, that Peoria is only going to be as strong uh, as our poorest neighborhoods. And I think that that's something that we have to do uh, is to continue to, to, to look at making infrastructure investments. The, the, the CSO is going to allow us in our oldest neighborhoods to put nearly a hundred million dollars of investment uh, into the streets and into the to the sewer systems in those areas. And so that's going to allow us to make some changes. And since we're doing it above ground instead of just building a big pipe, uh, that's going to allow us to put some attention uh, there. I think that that, you know, our efforts have been multifaceted. You know, we've been focusing from our community development, doing uh, housing and, 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 and looking at uh, neighborhood redevelopment uh, to our economic development team, looking at small business development and looking at how we can help to, to grow our small businesses to our public works department, looking at, at our, our, bus- our corridors uh, to putting infrastructure investment in. So we're trying to look at all different levels of, of, of how we can help in the, in the South side. Uh, we have, all of our TIF districts are either in districts one, two, or three. So they're, they're, they're not in, in districts four and five. So, so those dollars are, are, are focused here in, I'm sitting in downtown right now, but they're, they're focused in uh, district one. Uh, downtown is in district one, uh, or they're in, in the, the East Bluff uh, or parts of, of the, the center bluff. So, 
um, you know, overall, we have tried to to continue and we'll continue to focus our efforts uh, on trying to make sure um, that that areas of the city that we've seen disinvestment in, uh, we're continuing to try and reinvest back into those areas. But again, we're a city with a with a with a budget that that this year with capital and everything is going to be about two hundred and thirty million dollars. We can only do so much. We need to have that private sector investment as well to come along. We need businesses to invest in the South Side. We need businesses to hire people from the South Side, just as we need people to you know from the East Bluff to have that same level of economic opportunity. That's what's going to help us to pull out of uh, of, of the, the the disparities that we've seen between parts of the city that are affluent and parts of the city that are, are not. I, I got uh, my next question is going to be two parts, still on economic development. One's going to sound like an economic development question. One may not. Uh, but what do we do and what do we need to do to persuade companies to set up shop in Peoria? Well, I think that we've got to, we've got to talk about our, 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 our um, our business climate here in Peoria. We've got to talk about uh, the, the advantages that Peoria has of being, um, you know, really um, a, a, you know, we're a world-class city that has world-class infrastructure for businesses to come here. We've got a workforce that's, that has very strong uh, work ethic that will work very hard. Um, we have, we have uh, people in the community um, that have talent not only from from manufacturing and healthcare, um, but we have a, a, a workforce and, a, and an infrastructure uh, that we can help to build out. We have places where we can build out um, not only on the south side within many of our TIF districts, um, but also on the north end uh, where we have we have opportunities for future um, commercial uh, investment in some of our growth cells. So we've got opportunities throughout the city. Uh, for business to invest here. Um, and we've just got to continue to say, look, Illinois is a great place because uh, you're central in the in the country. You can get wherever you need to go. And Peoria is great because you can get to Chicago, St. Louis, Indianapolis, everywhere from here. So it's, um, you know, we're, we're at a good crossroads. Uh, and we just have to continue to promote that, continue to promote Peoria and leverage the, the businesses that we have here as well. Uh, 24-7 article, everybody knows about it, one of the worst cities for blacks twice in a row. Uh, I've seen some other things on YouTube and uh, other media outlets in the last several weeks. Um, but when the 24-7 article specifically came out, negative news pieces and things like that, uh, did did you feel in part, did, first of all, did it surprise you? Secondly, did you feel in part to blame? Well, I think that, I think first and foremost, um, th- I, I was surprised by the articles. I think that, um, you know that they were taking some of our of our regional demographic data and and looking at the you know because you know Peoria has a has a minority population that's about forty percent of the overall population but if you look at those stories they were saying well Peoria's minority population is ten percent of the population and, and that's not true that, that that's because they they were looking at the metro data and that disparity gets even wider as you start to look at the metro data that's not discounting the issues that, that we know that we have to face and the disparities that we have inside the city of Peoria. Um, but we've been working uh, diligently to try and make sure that, that we address those issues. For the last four or five years, we've had a, a, a working group between the NAACP and the Construction and Building Trades to try and uh, figure out ways that we can put more uh, minorities into the building and construction trades. Um, we have, at the city level, uh, we've created a Peoria Corps program uh, based on a program that we saw in Philadelphia, 
where we're trying to take at-risk youth uh, and get them exposed to uh the, the, the green stormwater infrastructure environment or, or how we're going to have to be building out uh, our, our CSO problems uh, in order to address the sewer issues so that we can provide opportunities for them to maybe move into a, a different um, uh, line of work uh, that they maybe have never thought about, uh, which would be, uh, you know, looking at, at engineering and, and, and looking at, at different aspects of that. So, you know, we're trying to, to do things on a number of different levels. Um, in order to, to change um, the, or, or to at least address some of the disparities that we've, that we've seen in our communities. And we have to continue to work on that. It's, this, is a, this is a work in progress. We, you know, we hired our, our first chief diversity inclusion officer. Uh, he recently left and took a job in Kansas. Uh, so we're going to be filling that position. We're going to be posting that position, uh, looking forward to, to filling that job. Uh, and to continue the discussion uh, through the now Joint Commission on Racial Justice and Equity uh, to try and continue to have this dialogue about how we can improve outcomes for all Peorians. Okay, and I'll circle back on the same question again. Why did it surprise you, and do you feel like you're in part to blame as uh, as essentially a leader of the city? Well, I think we're all to blame. I think I think I think everyone is to blame, and everyone has a share in 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 Peoria's success and failures. And I, everyone is that City Hall. Everyone is that the City of Peoria. Anyone is I, that? I'm, I, I, I'm, what I'm saying is, I think everyone shares in some of the city's success and failures. Whether you're you're someone uh, that that lives in the city. Uh, or whether you're someone that commutes into the city and works in the city, whether you employ people here in the city, uh, or whether you're trying to leave the city because you don't like, you know, some of the some of the uh, the things that you see here. I think we're all part of our success and we're all part of our blame. Uh, the the city has ha, has 600 employees. We can only leverage so much um, as a city. We need the business community's help. We need the education system's help. We need the community's help to help us to change the outcomes and change uh, everyone's outcome. And that's not to say that, that what the city is doing is, um, is, is, or to minimize what the city is doing. Um, what I'm saying is that we're all, we are all part of our success and we're all part of our failure. And we all have to recognize that over the last 40, 50 years in Peoria, we have, we have established a situation where we have major disparities uh, between our affluent neighborhoods and our poorer neighborhoods. And we've got to figure out ways to, to solve that. And again, but you, you, you're, you're paid and you're a leader of the city. You're the only, you're the only uh, employee of the, of the city council, well into six figures as far as your pay. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, your job is to execute uh, strategy and just make sure that Peoria is on the up and up. So as a leader of the city of Peoria, do you take, personal responsibility or do you feel personal responsibility when you see the 24 seven article? Yeah, I do. I do. And I think we all should. I think every employee at the city should. And I think every person in the city should. Patrick, I, I want to ask you about one element of, of what you talked about. Uh, actually, both of these, because certainly I, I think that, that there has been some buy-in on the educational end, particularly with, with work being done through, through ICC and other higher education on trying to produce more more job-ready employees. Uh, can you give me a couple of concrete examples, if, if there are, of, of instances where, where we've seen the business community buy in and make more investment in 
areas of the city that that have seen disinvestment beforehand or or have made an active commitment that they want to hire people from those areas of the city well i think i think you know as i mentioned earlier i think you look at the investment that o'brien steel has made uh in the north valley uh there's a great example of of, of a company that continues to invest and try and uh grow in that footprint Komatsu um, and their their continued uh, investment uh, again in the North Valley in the Averyville area um, is is another major employer that we have uh, that's a major manufacturer that's creating equipment that's going worldwide um, right here in Peoria and I think that that those types of investments we can't overlook um, I think that that you know from a workforce development standpoint um, the 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 business community has been involved with ICC uh, and the efforts to, to try and uh, improve uh, our, our uh, certification level for people to, to ensure that they're able to move into uh, well-paying jobs. Uh, and I think that that's a, a, another aspect that we have to continue to work with the business community so that they they understand that we're only as, as strong as that weakest link that we have here in Peoria. Okay. Uh- you mentioned uh, a little bit ago the OSF project mm-hmm. taking place right downtown, um, and yeah, there, there was a, a great deal of excitement at first that something actually was going into that space after Caterpillar pulled the rug out from under everyone. But uh, after that, uh, you know, that there's, there's progress downtown. Is there action that, that you're beginning to see on redevelopment for some of those other long vacant buildings you've got the the material across the street from the headquarters some of the the floyd rashid owned buildings there the old cohen's building at at the end of the stretch there that that are just sitting as vacant eyesores in there to to what extent are are we seeing in the city work on on development of those spaces and, and potentially even some some necessary things to encourage more residential growth that, that follows with it? Well, I think that, that we're starting to see um, that there have been, and I've had some conversations with some folks about the areas across the street from, from OSF uh, over the, the past several years. And I think that there, there's some interest on some people's part to try and see something happen, but it's, it's still in the formative stages. There's nothing that's concrete that I could say, yes, there's a development coming. Um, and that, that's usually the case with development. A lot of times it is, it is um, a lot of, a lot of um, legwork on the front end before you can take a concept into reality. Um, I know that, that, that Les Cohen, who owns the Cohen's um, building, uh, has really pushed to try and advocate and promote uh, for an adaptive reuse of that building. Uh, now that we're seeing that the OSF's virtual center is going to be open right next door to it, uh, that hopefully that will help to, to continue to spur that investment. It's a, it's a classic old building, and hopefully we'll see that there is some interest in that. Um, we've seen investment in the, uh, you know, Clifton Larson Allen is, a, is a, uh, an accounting firm that uh, invested a significant amount of money in the PNC Bank building, and there are two floors of that. Um, so we're seeing, you know, that there are some, some opportunities in downtown, uh, and that is bleeding off into the warehouse district as well. We're, we have uh, 112 unit development that's underway right now, apartment uh, development that's underway right now at 812 Southwest Washington. Um, we have uh, more apartments being built uh, in the 700 block of Washington. 
uh, at the Ingersoll building. And I, I think that that hopefully we'll see uh, a continued uh, develop redevelopment of the, the uh, warehouse district that we'll see more apartments being built in that, that neighborhood. So are there, are there plans from there to expand beyond the warehouse district into some of the surrounding areas and, and start to get more into elements of the South end there? Because it, it almost seems like it, it's a world apart there for well, the rest of South Peoria. Well, that's the that's the MacArthur plan. I mean, that that's one of the areas that we're looking at is how we can take MacArthur um, and really look at at providing additional commercial and residential investment uh, in that stretch of MacArthur. As you come down from from Campus Town uh, through Bradley and you come down the hill, everything's south of the MacArthur Bridge to down to to Jefferson is what we would be looking at at trying to put uh, some additional residential and commercial investment in that area there. Uh, I want to get to some questions real quick from the uh, from the audience, the comments, um, the virtual audience that we do have. Uh, Taki says, with property taxes being outrageous in our city, what is the plan to retain and attract residents to the area for growth purposes? Great question. Uh, property taxes are high because uh, Illinois is a uh, is a high property tax state. We fund education through property taxes. Um, hopefully, um, as the General Assembly uh, starts to look at at um, where we go from a budgetary standpoint long term and some of the challenges, uh, hopefully they'll look at that as, as one of the areas that they can address that. Um, we, have to, we have to promote Illinois and we have to promote Peoria uh, uh, even with having high property taxes. And we have to talk about the other uh, aspects of our investment, uh, the strong workforce that we have in our community, the, 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 the labor market that we have. Um, the, the, the cost of doing business in, in Peoria is a fraction of what the cost of doing business is in Chicago. Uh, so I think that's that's what we have to continue to promote from an economic development perspective. Asa says, after our over-reliance on Caterpillar was exposed, we're not worried. We're not worried about are we not worried about seemingly putting most of our eggs in the healthcare basket? Good question. But I, I, I don't think that we are as. Uh, overly reliant on healthcare, and I think that that you know healthcare is also pretty recession-proof um, because everyone needs it, and I think that that's something that that um, you know we need to build on that. Um, we need to build on the on, on things like the the Jump Innovation Center um, that that uh, Caterpillar has or that OSF has, excuse me, um, because that that type of of center that's really focused on medical innovation. Uh, is going to help Peoria to, to to make a name for itself in that space as well. And last one I want to grab uh, from Angela, uh, who has several questions in here, and I'll try to ball them all up. But who uh, with Peoria doesn't have a decent living wage for a lot of people, low paying jobs and expensive living costs. How will Peoria compensate for that? And she also kind of looped that in with who is going to be able to afford to live in those apartments downtown, given the first question. Well, I think that 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 one of the the issues that that we need to make sure that we're working with and in, in developer with developers uh, is ensuring that that uh, the the rents for apartments are are um, attainable for Peorians, and I think that's something that we have to to, to work towards. Um, with regards to uh, the job issue, I think that's one of the challenges. Uh, you know, we need to continue to try and work. Uh, in segments of the economy and growth segments of the economy uh, where where people are making more than they would in in, in what would be uh, considered a traditional service sector job. Um, you know, we're seeing it with after COVID really uh, has laid bare the, the, the challenges in 
the retail sector, for example. And, and so, you know, more and more people are shopping online and you're seeing more and more stores are, are filing for bankruptcy. Uh, and so, you know, those types of, of retail jobs are going to be fewer and fewer and smaller and smaller. So we need to figure out uh, collectively um, what are those segments of the economy that we can grow uh, that have uh, high, high paying living wages. And then we need to attract those businesses to Peoria to help to fill that, that gap. Who would you like to see here? Well, I think that, that, you know, we need to continue to, to drive home uh, from a financial services perspective uh, that we can, that we could look at, at growing that area. I think the idea of medical innovation and, and medical manufacturing is something that we could, we could continue to look at because we have talent in both sides of that, um, and I think that those are areas that we could look to and markets that we could look to uh, to grow and continue to grow. Uh, I think that that we need to look at um, going back to our roots as, as, you know, in agriculture. We need to look at agribusiness and see if there are other areas that we can look at um, as we look at, at uh, Peoria being, you know, we have a port here in Peoria and we have a, a river in Peoria that, that this is about as far north as you can go without the river freezing. So if there's more barge traffic that we can get back onto the river, we need to be doing that as well. Okay. Uh, Patrick, I, I want to ask you one last element. You've, you've talked about MacArthur. You've talked about Western Avenue. There, there was a, a fair amount of discussion uh, eight to 10 years ago about the Southern Gateway, mm-hmm. you know, the, the entry to the city on, on far South Adams Street down by 474 in Bartonville and being able to spruce up that area and make it more inviting, particularly for anybody who comes in here either either by, by the ring road by 474 or who comes in by plane. It's not necessarily a, a very welcoming drive into, into Peoria unless you're a fan of scrapyards. Um, where are we on any of that development? I, I it feels like it's taken a backseat to some of the other redevelopments and even to the warehouse district. What is the next step in, in getting that back on the radar? Well, I think one of the things that we did, we did build into the budget. We suspended the project during the COVID area. We, we did put a couple hundred thousand dollars in our budget to try and spruce up that corridor to look at doing some of the investment that we could do in that area. Um, we, we froze that capital project last year due to COVID, but we put that project back in the budget for 2021. So we're going to start to look at what we can do from a, and, and, and really with that kind of dollar amount, it's only cosmetic at this point in time is what we're really looking at, but we're going to continue to try and uh, make some changes in those areas where we can uh, to spruce up that entrance. Um, but it, it is still a predominantly manufacturing part of town. I mean, we, we, we do, not only do we have, have scrap yards, um, but we do still have some really uh, active manufacturing that's going on and, and barge terminals that are in that area. So we need to, to look at that for what it is. It's, a, it's still a part of our industrial past, and we need to, to nurture that because that can help to grow additional jobs uh, for people that live in the neighborhood as well. All right. Um, I, I, I want to ask, as, as we sort of close out here and, and get ready to move over to the, the lightning round, um, you know, you've, you've been, as we mentioned at the, the top of the hour here, a city manager for going on 10 years. Take a look back and, and tell me what are two things that, that you really think are, are some unsung successes of that time for the city? And then two things that you wish you might have 
might have done differently or handled better? Well, I, I, I think that, that, you know, the in, in 10 years with losing 145 full-time positions, I think that the city still continues to, to provide a great level of service to our community. Um, and I, I'm very proud of the, the employees that we have, all of our employees, our police officers, our firefighters, our public works employees, our community development uh, staff, um, the, the people that work here in City Hall every day, uh, the people that answer 911 calls for the city and make sure that, that we get those public safety uh, people to, the, to the, the calls. I think that, that uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the level of service that we continue to provide uh, I'm very proud of the employees that I work with on a daily basis. Um, I think that that you know, looking at uh, back at um, the last ten years, um, you know, obviously the speed of development. I wish that that some of that would have grown faster um, in the warehouse district. Um, you know, trying to figure out we, in both the South Village and in the East Village, we've we've adopted residential TIFs um, and really trying to see if how we could we could you know move the needle on on some of that residential investment is is something i wish we that that we would have had a little more speed with um but i you know overall i think that that um you know the 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 big challenge that we've that we've been facing is you know since the great recession uh and now through covid uh is how to deliver services where we have some significant fiscal pressure that we're facing um you know being here in illinois and having having some of the pension costs but we're able to do it, and, and we've been able to do it, I think, uh, very well. And I think that that's something that I'm most proud of. Okay, I think we're going to move on over to the lightning round then. Lightning round, man, are you re- lightning round? Lightning round, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm going to give you a couple more seconds than I gave artists because I was kind of off. So uh, if you're watching, Jim, my apologies. Uh, we're going to get a minute 30. These are going to be either or questions. So either, you know, either or left or right or this or just rapid fire direct answers. Are you ready? I'm ready. OK, here we are. Um, Cubs or Cardinals? Cubs. Apple or Android? Uh, Apple. Uh, old Mall or New Mall? Uh, old Mall. After 10 years, why do we still call it the New Mall? <laughs> Good question. Bullpen or Corey's? Ooh, uh, Corey's. Uh, Mercedes or BMW? Ooh, um, BMW. Jim Steakhouse or Alexander's? Oh, Jim's. University or Knoxville? Uh, University. Uni- uh, favorite uh, musical artist? Uh, the Beatles. Blue Moon or Budweiser? Uh, Blue Moon. Favorite local restaurant? Ooh, One World. Jordan or LeBron? Oh, MJ. East Coast or West Coast? Uh, I'll go East Coast. NBA or NFL? Uh, NFL. Avantis or Jimmy John's? Uh, Avantis. Red or blue? Um, blue. Math or science? Math. Big boy or Andre 2000? Oh, Andre. <laughs> Twitter or Facebook? Uh, Facebook. Favorite movie? Ooh, uh, Blues Brothers. Rumbergers or Heralds? Um, say that again. Rumburgers or Harold's? Ooh, Harold's. Harold's. Favorite basketball player out of Peoria? Oh, um, oh man. Come on. Come on. Oh, there's too many. There's too many. Give, give too me some of this. Biden, what are we going to do? Uh, David Booth. 
Okay. And uh, last question in there, uh, and second to last question in general, what would you give yourself uh, grade-wise in your tenure as city manager? Ooh, um, I'd give myself a B minus. I think I could always do better. And uh, uh, circling back to just the pandemic, uh, COVID mitigations, is there anything that you'd like to see the Peoria, uh, Peoria do to kind of put more of an effort or priority on uh, COVID or to loosen it up either way? Well, I think that, that, you know, we should hear from the governor probably tomorrow about what, what some of his plans are for, for some of the mitigation measures. Um, I think the, the, the biggest issue that, that we all have to do is we all just have to continue to, to do what we can to be safe. Uh, the, the more that we follow the, 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 the guidelines of the CDC, the better off we're going to be. And then we're going to see that we're going to come out of this better. And I think that that's, that's just one thing that we have to do. Yes, it's been painful for people. Yes, it's been painful for restaurants. And yes, it's been pay- painful that we have to, to put in these measures. Uh, but the more we comply right now, the faster we're going to get out of this. Patrick, I, I got to ask you a follow-up to that. Uh, that. That I think goes to the credibility of that question. You know, if, if it is so important that, we obey those restrictions in order to get out of this faster. Is the city actively pursuing groups, restaurants, bars that aren't complying and following up with the liquor inspector, taking it to the liquor commission, things like that to, to require compliance? What, we've, what we have said that we would do is we would turn those over to the health department if there is a food service establishment involved. If it's a tavern and we have a complaint about that, we're investigating that and turning it over to the state's attorney. And then we've also been working with the Illinois State Liquor Control Commission where they had complaints and we partnered with them when they came into Peoria and we worked through that. So we're working through those avenues um, to ensure that the enforcement activities go forward. And and how many have you referred to the state's attorney or to the Liquor Control Commission then? Oh, I want to say that the, the Liquor Control Commission probably looked at about six places, and, and I think that we've probably referred six or so to the state's attorney's office. Okay. And, and these are not complicated investigations, right? Either they're following the rules or they aren't. It seems a pretty binary state. Correct. All right. And is, is the city then pursuing with, with its own liquor licensing other than the the threat that you might have to pay full freight on on your liquor license this year rather than the no, that, that, that's what we're doing chris that's that that's it for, in terms of what we're doing so, so the, the 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 city liquor commissioner is not going to yank city liquor licenses for a business that's not complying had it on last week <laughs> okay fair enough Patrick, thanks for, for being on, Mark. Well, I was going to say, before Chris closes this out, I definitely want to give a big shout-out to in a happy Founders Day to the beautiful ladies of Delta Sigma Theta. I got my red on. If you know me, you know how it is. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for being here, City Manager Patrick Urich. Next week, we will be talking to District 1 candidates ahead of the primary. Peoria City Council, District 1. Thank you very much for being here, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you, guys.